Um, so the title of this morning's message, if you're taking notes, which you should be taking notes because it's good to take notes, I know for me that's when I learn. When I spend time with God and I actually write out in a journal or things I'm learning, that SOAP, we've given you journals in the past, SOAP, right, scripture, observation, you write down what you observed, application, how does this apply to my life, and then just write a prayer. Man, when I do that in my devotional time, I get a whole lot more out of it than just reading God's word and that's it. When I actually write it out, ah. So sometimes, I'm just being honest with you, I don't go back and read all my notes from sermons, but just the writing it out, it helps me remember it and chew on it, meditate throughout the rest of the week. So encourage you, take notes. Um, title this morning's message is Fruit from Presence. Fruit from Presence. What the heck does that mean? Well, let's find out. Um, fruit from Presence. Um, kind of the theme verse that we're jumping off from and we'll come back to again throughout tonight. Uh, tonight? Well, maybe tonight too. Um, but I'm preaching this morning. Um, is from John 15, verse 7. And I got a slide for it, but you can open up your Bibles if you want to that. John 15, 7 says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in, in you, you will ask what you desire and that shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. This giving you context, many of you have heard this verse before. I grew up in this church in Sunday school. I've heard this chapter tons of times. Jesus is talking about, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? And he's doing this in the context of talking to his disciples, eating the Last Supper. It's his last meal. It's his last time to really disciple his, his good friends before he's arrested and crucified, right? And so we're getting ready for Easter's coming up pretty soon. And so this is apropos that we are hearing the words of Jesus on his last meal with his disciples. And he's saying that he wants us to, uh, to bear much fruit. He wants us to, to glorify his Father in heaven. And I haven't said this maybe Maybe it's been over a year. Um, but what is the chief end of man? What is the goal of our life? Ah, good. You guys are engaging. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. There's some really smart guys that came up with this hundreds and hundreds of years ago that came up. What is the whole point and the meaning and the purpose of life? And through scripture, they said, you know what? We were created to glorify God. And so Jesus is trying to make it plain and simple. You want to glorify your father in heaven? You have to bear fruit. And how do you bear fruit? By abiding in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't bear fruit unless you're abiding in him. And so I was thinking about this idea of being fruitful or abiding in Christ. And Sunday School Trivia, I kind of just gave you the answer. But what is the very, very, very first words that God ever spoke to mankind? Kind of gave you the answer. Genesis chapter 1. The very first two words, be fruitful. Right after he created Adam, he created from the dust of the earth, and he said, let us make man in our image, right? Genesis chapter 1. Um, actually, we'll read it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 says this. God said to them, mankind, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. So I love this. That's verse 28 and 29. I love the context here. The very first words to me, this is as a rabbi, as a scholar, as someone who studies God's word, I've shared this before, sometimes the first and the last are very important. So we just read Jesus' last words to disciples. Be fruitful. And now the very first words to humanity, after he created mankind in his image, first words that come out of God's mouth to you and I as humans, be fruitful. But I love in verse 29, he says, I've already been fruitful. I created a whole bunch of fruit for you to enjoy. So now look and see and eat. 
eat of the fruit that I have created and be like me. I am fruitful, so now you be fruitful. I love that God, he never commands us to do something that he doesn't already do, right? It says that we love him because he first loved us, right? We have no ability in ourselves to love God unless it's the love of God that abides in us first. We have to receive the grace and the goodness of God. I can only forgive somebody genuinely if I first received the forgiveness of Christ. You find it hard to forgive somebody when you haven't received the forgiveness of Christ, I love that Paul talks about that. He says, man, I'm the chief of sinners. So he finds it very easy to love people who are not very loving to him because he used to kill Christians, right? And he says, I've been forgiven much to whom much is forgiven, right? Man, this love just comes out. And so the reality is we can only be fruitful if we first are eating of the fruit or the goodness of God. And there's so many scriptures, I don't even have them all in here, but it talks about, right, it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? It says that we are to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. There's this idea that we are to be eating of the goodness of God. And, um, oh, man, just really quick, I was thinking about uh, a sermon I listened to probably seven years ago, maybe more, uh, from John Piper, and I love John Piper. Um, but he talks about how sometimes he looks at people in this world and sometimes his own family and friends, and he sees them. He gave this visual image, visual image, and he says, he used it through scripture. He goes, but I, I see people putting their mouths to the dust of the earth, and they're sucking on the dust of the earth, thinking that they're going to be satisfied with what this world has to give them. And he says, oh, man, if they just came to the well of living water, where Jesus, he says, man, if you drank from me, I would spring up a well within you where rivers of living water would flow out of you. And so John Piper, I love, he just... When I hear him preach, he has the rivers of living water. He has this great intimacy where he has tasted and he is drinking in the goodness of God, right? As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for more of God. And so you see that God has created us, yes, to glorify him, to bear fruit. That's the first commandment, it's the first words, bear fruit. But we can only do that if we're abided, if we're connected, if he is the vine, we're the branches, and we're taking in the nutrients, right? We're taking in the fruit or the goodness of who God is. And so that's so important that if we are to glorify God, we've got to first be eating the right kind of fruit. What kind of fruit are you eating? What are you eating all day long? What are you eating all week long? What kind of fruit are you putting in? I love that Jesus says this. He says, you're not defiled. The Old Testament kept saying, you can only eat kosher food. You can only do this type. And he says, you know what? You're not defiled by what goes in your mouth, but what comes out. But there's this truth is, right? We've heard this before, not scripture, but maybe you've heard this garbage in, garbage out, right? There's this idea. If you're feeding your brain, I was talking to somebody last Sunday, I won't point him out, this last Sunday after service, they were listening to news nonstop. At some point, if you are feeding yourself with the news, it is not the truth. I get it. They give you facts of what's going on in the world, but it's not the truth. Jen just said that during worship. It's the truth that sets us free, right? There's so many information that can be accurate information, but if we're just feeding ourselves accurate information and not the truth of God, man, our lives are a mess. If we are eating the truth of God and it abides in us, oh, right? That's what he says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, oh, then you will bear much fruit. So there's this idea, what you eat matters. What you are putting in matters so much. And I just felt like the Lord was saying for this morning to challenge us. What are you eating? 
What kind of fruit are you eating? Are you eating the goodness of God? I love that scripture says, uh, is it David in the Psalm says, man, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. It's not that, oh, I just can't wait till Jesus removes me from this planet because everything's horrible in this planet. And once I go to heaven, oh, then I can drink of the goodness of God. No, in the land of the living, I'm gonna drink of the, God, of the goodness of God. I'm gonna eat and see that he is so good. It's gonna abide in me. The words of life, oh, they are good. And so I just, I challenge you, what are you eating? What are we putting into our bodies? And I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning. Because like I said, garbage in, garbage out. Jesus talks about this. He says, man, it's not that hard to find a good tree or bad tree. Just look at the fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. I would like to say that my life produces good fruit. I see a lot of good fruit from this church. But I think what God is saying is he wants the fruit to abound. He wants more fruit. This is what Jesus, again, the last words, the first words. He wants us to bear much fruit, to multiply, not just to bear a fruit, but to be fruitful, full of fruit, that we're lacking nothing. That's another scripture, right? We lack no good thing. That is the truth of God's word. Sometimes my experience says, actually, my life, I could use more of that good thing. And I wish I had more of that good thing. But the truth is, I lack no good thing. That's scripture. If I'm in Christ, I have all the goodness of God. I, I, again, I, we were in early morning prayer. We were praying about all kinds of different things. But one of the things that came up, my dad was praying. And, you know, just people in the persecuted church, maybe in countries where they don't have freedoms. Man, how sweet is the word of God to them. How they long, they truly are the ones that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That God's word, oh, if they could just get a portion of it, oh, it satisfies their soul in a way that, man, I am inundated with God's word all the time. And it's good, right? I'm, I'm listening to worship music. I listen to podcasts. I come to church. I'm preparing messages. I'm, I'm getting inundated with God's word, which is good. But somehow the hunger and the level of value for the goodness of God sometimes gets dulled. And I feel like God is saying this morning, do you have an appetite for the goodness of God, for the fruit of God? And I, I was thinking again about Adam and Eve. They were commanded to be fruitful, to bear fruit. And then they said, then they were said, now eat from every tree in the garden. You can eat of every tree except one, but of every other tree you can eat. And what did they choose to eat from? <laughs> it's amazing. We have so much available to us. And yet we eat sometimes garbage. What kind of fruit are we eating? And I was thinking about it. Man, if Adam and Eve had been bearing the fruit, well, you can say of, of the Spirit, right? We have that in Galatians, right? Fruit of the Spirit is self-control, faithfulness, right? Those are just some of the fruits of, fruits of the Spirit. If they were bearing that fruit when the serpent came, oh, man, that story would be reading so different, right? It would say, it would say oh, Adam took his authority and he squashed the serpent under his feet, right? That's if he was bearing the fruit, I was thinking about it, and then in the verse, so in chapter one, they're given this command to be fruitful, to multiply, and then to eat of all this good fruit. And then uh, uh, in chapter two, you see the temptation come. And then you see that after they ate the bad fruit, the presence, fruit from presence, 
What happened when the presence of God became manifest in the garden? They hid themselves. They hid themselves from the presence. They could never again bear good fruits. It wasn't for, except for the mercy and grace of God. Right? Curses came. There was a consequence of sin. Praise God, his mercy still allowed for them to bear good fruit. But I just was thinking about that. Oh, man. They ate the wrong fruit, and then they didn't have access to the presence. They were cut off. Oh, man. I don't want to cut myself off from the presence of God. Because that is where I can eat. That is where I get the sustenance so I can bear good fruit. So I just was thinking, again, Scripture doesn't say, this is just me reading into the story. Man, I wonder. I wonder if the serpent who was crafty, he was the most crafty, I wonder if he was looking for the times where Adam and Eve weren't bearing fruit. Where in the moments that they were just worshiping God and loving God, the serpent's like, man, I ain't touching that. I'm staying away from that. But it's the times where they weren't spending, they weren't thinking about God. They were doing their own thing. Oh, here's an opportunity. Let's tempt them with some things of this earth. Again, that John Piper thing. The dust of the earth, death, man. He was making death appealing. And the enemy is a deceiver. I think there are things that in our natural mind and our flesh we think are appealing, but the end result is death. I'm just saying, oh man, God, teach me to feast from your presence. That as David says, man, there's no other place I'd rather be. There's this idea of what are we eating. And then going back to this verse in John 15, I was kind of thinking about this verse where he says, man, if you abide in me and my words abide in, me, in you, I'll actually can bring it back up. Bring that verse back up. John 15, 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, what's actually the very next step? You will ask what you desire. And I was thinking about that. That's kind of a weird phrase to put in there, Jesus. Because before he says, no, if you just abide in me, you'll bear fruit. But now he's saying, no, if you ask. And I started reading the context of Jesus' it's actually John chapter 14, John 16, 17. Jesus kept saying this. In his last moments with the disciples, he said this, I think, like five times. If you ask, whatever you ask, I will do it. What? This was an important thing to Jesus. Asking. And then I thought about this. Oh, man. Ask. James, I have it somewhere in here. You have to, excuse me, I got like eight pages of notes and I'm trying to skip a lot of this stuff. So, um, James 4.2. You have not because you ask not. Ask is kind of a big deal to Jesus. I feel like in a sense, this season we've been in with the coronavirus, we've been stuck at home, right? Stay at home uh, orders. God has been saying he wants to teach us. He wants us to learn how to abide with him, how to spend time with him. And I don't think we're like, oh, we nailed that. We got that. Now we can move on to the next thing. No, I don't think so. But I feel like in the context of still learning to abide, Jesus is saying, all right, the next step, the next step to actually bearing tons of fruit is learning how to ask. I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to emphasize the K, the letter K, in my phrase, because if I didn't, it might go sideways, and it still might go sideways. Um, but the Lord wants you to have a bigger ask 
is your ask big enough? Is your ask getting bigger? Right? I know you're laughing, right? I thought about this last night. I was like, God, can I say that? And I thought, I thought that God's like, you know what? I've got a sense of humor, Ryan. Like, like, oh, okay. So it's okay to laugh in church where it sounds like the pastor almost is saying a bad word. But it's the truth of God's word. I love that it can be, he can be silly. But in a sense, this is what Jesus is saying. Oh, man, in Ephesians, I always forget the reference. Ephesians 3.20. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything you ask. So he's saying there's no limit. Anything. He keeps saying it over and over again. Anything you ask, I will do. Wow. This is connected to bearing fruit, which is connected to glorifying God, which is the whole purpose in life. If you find your purpose in life is accumulating things, gaining a 401k, being able to retire early, then you're missing on the purpose and the meaning of life. If your purpose in life is to have as many people like you, oh man, you're in for it because it's not going to go well. I learned that becoming a pastor. Whew, I cannot please everybody. But asking is such a big part of what God is saying. I feel like in this season, as we're learning to abide with him, he's saying, all right, now you've got to begin to ask. I thought about this other verse uh, in Matthew. We read it earlier, talking about compassion. Let me see if I can find it in here, the actual reference. I know what Jesus, Matthew 9.35. I don't have a verse for it, a slide for it, but I'll just read it to you really quick. He says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That's our word for the year, right? Compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, that would be you and I, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus is even saying, man, the harvest is huge. It's plentiful. It's ripe. But we've got as disciples, we've got to learn to ask. Because we play a role, right? We are partners with Christ. But I feel like in this partnering role, we've got to learn how to ask. I think about my kids. As a dad, I, I, it's this desire. I want to give my kids good things. Christmas, birthdays, even just out of the blue, I like giving my kids good things. I like seeing them happy. It's part of... How God created a father. A good father likes to give good gifts. Now you're thinking of the verse about that. Jesus talks about this. If you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father? So let's ask. Right? Jesus, even in the model prayer, teaching his disciples, he's saying, all right, God's got a will. He's got a desire. But you actually have to ask him for his will to happen on earth. If you aren't going to ask, if you aren't going to partner with him with the asking, it's not going to happen. Really quick, i got to kind of explain that. I'm not, this is not going to go off the whole thing, part of my message. But there's a difference between God's sovereign will, which you and I can't touch. No human can change or alter God's sovereign will. Jesus is going to return. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue will confess that he's Lord. Nobody can change that. Sovereign will of God. But there is this permissive will of God. And again, another context reference for that is, is that he desires that all would come to know him. 
that all would be saved. That is his desire. That is his will. But there's also free will. He created us in his image. So there's permission for us to decide and to partner with. And I feel like God is saying part of the ask, part of what God is saying for him to be glorified, in order for us to bear much fruit, we've got to learn the ask. What does that mean for you? Again, that doesn't mean, oh, if I just ask God for a Ferrari, he'll give me a Ferrari, right? No, it comes from abiding with him. As I spend time with him, I begin to get his heart. I begin to find out what his permissive will is. And I begin to pray according to his will, not his sovereign will. I get it. Sometimes I'm guilty. I've heard probably every Christian has prayed, Lord, just let your will be done. And sometimes we think we're just thinking his sovereign will, like praying for someone to get healed. Well, God, just let your sovereign will be done. Well, actually, there's a permissive will. God's permissive will is he wants everyone to be healed. We just read the context in Matthew. Jesus healed everyone. Every town he went to, it says that he could heal everyone. That was his desire. But then he went to his own hometown, and it says he couldn't. That's crazy. It says Jesus, the Son of God, could not do many miracles. Why? Because it was his perm- it's what he wanted, but there was humanity that played a role. And there wasn't permission for him to get his will. I feel like you and I, we've been granted, I'll say it this way maybe, a permit. We have a permit. Meaning we have authority. Like a permit, like a search warrant, like a permit. Like by legal authority, I have a permit that I can do this. I, can, I have a permit to build a patio in my backyard. The Los Angeles city said, yes, they inspected, and I can build this thing, right? I have authority to do this. I feel like the Lord is saying in his permissive will, he wants to give you and I permits. All right, you have the authority. Now make my permissive will happen. But we've got to ask, and we've got to get a bigger ask. I've shared with you several times. I believe, I can't tell you that number in scripture but from prophetic words other people that have gone before me i'm believing for a billion soul harvest before jesus returns i believe that's his permissive will i don't believe that's his sovereign will that no matter what we do no matter what the church does it's going to happen no i believe that's his desirous will and he's prophetically giving that to churches he's put it in my heart and so we're praying towards it that's a big ask billion souls we just sang during worship, right? I see a victory, right? There's all these things that we see the earth. It seems like the world is getting darker and getting more difficult for the gospel to go forth. I see how cancel culture, I, I can see that within several years, this becomes hate speech. It's very real that this becomes, so how is that gonna happen? Well, it's because God overrules. Jesus is always victorious. It doesn't make sense natural, right? I, I don't lean on my own understanding. But in all my ways, I just acknowledge him. I just spend time abiding with him. And as I abide with him, I see what his heart's desire is. And I just begin to pray big prayers. Because my desire is to bear much fruit. I want to please. I, I've spent time with God. And I, I'm telling you, I've been chewing on this the last several days. Just, okay, maybe aside. Me personally... In my life, I wouldn't say I'm a big asker. This is not part of my sermon. I'm just thinking about it right now. This is just my own personal relationship with God right now. I'm sharing with you. I remember when I started dating Jen, we would go somewhere, go shopping in the mall or whatever else, and she wanted to go use the restroom or whatever, and she would always ask me, oh, can you hold my purse? 
Or like she would have a drink of water at, a, at someone's house, at a party, whatever. I was like, oh, can you hold this? And this is what I would do. She would hand me her, her water, and I'd get her water, and I'd put it on the table right next to me. I'm like, why is she asking me to hold her water when she can just put it on the table right here? Like, why ask me? Like, and so like, I wasn't like bothered by this. It, it was like a different motive. I would never think to ask somebody to hold my water when there's a table right there, right? So I'm not saying that's bad or good. I'm just realizing in my natural self, I don't ask people a lot. Like, I'm like, ah, oh, just self-independent. Like, I don't, I can just do it, right? Like, I don't need to figure out someone else to do this for me. I can do it myself, right? Uh, building my own house. I didn't bring plumbers into my house. Like, I had to go figure it out. Go to Home Depot. Maybe sometimes five, seven times for one little project. But I'd go figure it out, right? I didn't like asking for help, right? Even at working at AT&T with Luis, right? There was a lot of times where I'm like, man, if I ask somebody else for help, it sounds like I don't know what I'm doing. Right? So it's pride issues. I'm not saying it was a good thing. Sometimes I just didn't like asking for help. But the Lord is saying, get over yourself. Apart from him, we can do nothing of value. So let's learn to start asking. Asking. All right, I'm going to transition just because I, I want to make sure I give enough time. There's a whole lot more I can say on this asking. But if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 33, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. We're going to read, we got time. We're going to read a, a good portion of scripture here. So you can grab a Bible in the pew in front of you. It's New King James. You can follow along or open your app. But we're going to read a lot of scripture. I'm going to have slides I'll go through quick with just a little bit of the verses behind me. So you can do that, follow that as well there. Um, I'm actually reading and from my wife's, I don't know if this is her first Bible, but I know she had this in high school and it's fallen apart. Um, but my Bibles are all New King James, and so I had to borrow a New Living Translation. I don't want to read from an app, so I like sometimes, I just like the physical. I know maybe I'm old, but I like the old physical Bibles. I just, I, I do better reading it on a page there. And so I'm going to read from my wife's old Bible, uh, which is New Living Translation, and we're going to read Exodus chapter 33. This is a story that I've read a zillion times. You may have heard before, but I'm going to ask that the Lord gives us some fresh revelation in context, this idea of abiding, getting fruit from abiding with God. This idea of presence is so important, and I don't feel like I've hit presence a lot, and so that's why I want to get it into this, this chapter right here. Um, so Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. This is what it says. The Lord said to Moses, Now that you have brought these people out of Egypt, led them to the land I solemnly promised, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I told them long ago that I would give this land to their descendants. And I will send the angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Theirs is a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not travel along with you, for you are a stubborn, unruly people. If I did, I would be tempted to destroy you along the way. We'll stop there. First three verses. So again, context. You kind of caught it. God is talking to Moses. And he's saying, all right. It's time to go into the promised land. In the promised land, there's going to be provision. I'm going to send my angel with you. He's going to protect you. It's going to be a good thing. All right, it's time to go. But I'm not going with you. And I was thinking about that. What if, put it in context to our life now, what if we came back into this sanctuary and we had good fellowship? Oh, man, it was really good. What if worship was, like, top-notch? Everyone was hitting the right notes. Everyone's starting to sing harmony. Like, we're really enjoying the worship. 
the pastor's on fire, getting everybody to laugh, and they're all responding. We're having a great time. But what if the Lord's presence was never in the sanctuary? I'm just being honest with you. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like prop up a straw man and, and say them over there. I just think there are a lot of Christians, and maybe some of us in this room, that we don't always recognize the presence of God. We see goodness, right? A land flowing to the milk and honey. We see an angel bringing protection. We're like, oh, God's favor is on this. I think some of us would be satisfied with all the fruit of God providing. But we'd be missing his presence. And there's a difference. There's a difference. I know for me, I can look at my life and I can see the faithfulness of God. I can see the goodness of my life all over the place. I can see his blessings. But if I'm 100% honest and transparent and trying to do surgery in my own heart, I can't say that all of my life I've been living in the presence of God. I'm just being honest with you. God's goodness has never failed me. But I want to recognize when there's actually the presence of God, more than just the result of him being nice and kind to me. I'm wanting Osmond Church to be marked by the presence of God, which might look different than just financial blessing and all these good things going on. Sometimes they're connected. I get it. Sometimes it's linked, right? But in this passage, we're seeing that it's possible to receive all these benefits and all these good things without the actual presence of God. And Moses recognized it. And as we read the next few verses, the people recognize it. Let's read in verse 4 now. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and refused to wear their jewelry and ornaments. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, You are unruly, stubborn people. If I were there among you, for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and ornaments until I decide what to do with you. So from that time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry. I'm going to keep reading. It was Moses' custom. This is connected. Sometimes I think this verse is like different. But it's in the context of what we just read. It was Moses' custom to set up the tent, known as the tent of meeting, far outside the camp. Everyone who wanted to consult with the Lord would go there. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in their tent entrances. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. And as he went in, into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Then all the people would stand and bow low at their tent entrances. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, stayed behind in the tent of meeting. We'll stop there. So you're getting the picture, right? God just told them, I'm not going with you until I decide what to do with you. The people are repenting. Ah, let's not wear anything beautiful. Take all the ornaments, all the jewelry off. Let's figure out and repent. Let's figure out what we can do to get God's presence. They valued God's presence. They recognized, man, I don't want just the blessings of God. I want God himself. And so they're saying, all right, we're not going anywhere. And so Moses takes this tent of meeting outside the camp, outside all the people of Israel, and it's outside removed and then the presence of God comes, the pillar of cloud, right? And they could observe the people, 
They weren't in the presence. They didn't have the presence amongst them, but they saw Moses encounter the presence of God. They recognized the presence somewhere else. And it says that they had honor and they would stand at the entrances of their own tents and say, that's what I want. What Moses has over there in that tent, I want in my own tent. And I'm going to stand here and keep praying and pleading for forgiveness because that's what I want. What Moses has is what I want. And then I love that very last line where it says that Joshua would actually stay in the presence. This is my heart's cry as your pastor is that we as a church, we as a family, as a people, as a body, we would recognize the presence of God. We would long for the presence of God. And I'm saying, I can prophetically see it. There is a day coming when some of you are going to be Joshua's. The service officially is going to be over, and I'm believing it. Some of you are going to be on your face in the presence of God. And you're not going to leave. And I'm going to be stuck here having to wait to lock up the doors and alarm the place. And I'm going to be so happy. I'm not satisfied with doing church. We came back into the church. This is good. I, I love being in the sanctuary. But I don't want all the good things of being in the sanctuary without his presence. What does Moses reply? These are the famous verses coming up next. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you'll send with me or that you'll go with me, basically. You call me by name and tell me I found favor with you. Please, if this is really so, so show me your intentions so I, I will understand more fully and do exactly what you want me to do. Besides, don't forget that this nation is your very own people. In verse 14, because Moses kept asking, the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses. My presence will go with you. I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't go with us personally, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't let us move a step from this place. If you don't go with us, how will anyone ever know that your people and I have found favor with you? How else will they know that we are special and distinct from all other people on the earth? I'm telling you that is a prophetic word for us. You and I, we are to be distinct. We are to be special, marked by what? The presence of God. Amen. Not just a land flowing with milk and honey, not with just the provision and blessing of God. I'm saying the presence. He says, how else will we be known? If your presence isn't with us, we're going to look like the rest of the world. We're going to look like everybody else. We're going to look like the rich and famous, right? We can have all the blessings, but if it's not your presence... And the rich and famous, look at their lives. Drugs. Man, some of them suicide. They have everything, and yet they're empty. I'm saying, I, it doesn't matter to me the blessings. I just want the presence. And I get it, the blessings come with it because he's that good of a father. But I don't want an appetite. I want us to make sure that we know what we're hungering and thirsting for. Oh, man, I have too many verses in here. I think it's, uh, I could be wrong. Romans 14, 17, 14, 7, I don't know, one of those where it says, 
The kingdom of God is more than just food and drink. It's actually doing the righteousness of God. It's actually living a righteous life. It's actually abiding in the presence of God. It's actually bearing good fruit. That's the kingdom of God. When you bear the fruit of the Spirit, when love is not something you're trying to do, it's the love of God is just in you and it's coming out of you. It's not hard work to love somebody who's unloving because it's just the fruit. You've been abiding in His presence. Oh, without your presence, I'm going nowhere. That is such a prophetic word. Without abiding in the presence of God, your life is going nowhere. It's meaningless. It's lost its purpose. Hmm. So we stopped in verse 15, 16, 16. So verse 17 says this. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and you are my friend. I'm just going to stop in that one verse. That's loaded with what the message of the word of the Lord is today for us at Osmeber Church. This is the, what the Lord is responding to you, to me, to us as a church. I will indeed do what you ask. That is such a powerful statement. We just read it in John 15. John, Jesus kept saying over again, I'll do anything you ask. Let those words sink in. God told Moses, and I feel like he's saying it again today, I will indeed do what you have asked. What are you asking for? For you have found favor with me and you are my friend. Some of you need to hear that. I know I've stepped on toes saying it, but I have no problem, I have no shame or guilt. I'm God's favorite. I've found favor. I'm his friend. But some of you need to learn how to say that. Just because I'm his favorite doesn't mean you're not his favorite. God was telling Moses this. And to me, this is why I'm, I'm audacious enough to say, you know what? I'm a Moses. God, you said it to Moses, so I believe you're saying it in my life. I found your favor. I'm growing in favor with God and man. If Jesus could do it, I can do it. I know for me, uh, I'm talking about Jen a lot, reading her old Bible. That was in high school, early college. Jen grew up in the Catholic tradition. And so for her, when we sang that worship song, I am a friend of God, he calls me friend. She's like, I can't sing it. She's like, no, he's sovereign. He's God Almighty. He's like, no, until she had to read the story of Moses. She had to understand, educate herself. Actually, no, you are the friend of God. It's not sacrilegious to say that. It's actually learning to ask for friendship. Some of us are afraid to ask that big ask. God, I want to be your friend. I want to talk to you face to face like Moses. And then it gets to verse 18, which is maybe one of the biggest asks in all of Scripture. What does Moses ask for in verse 18? Then Moses had one more request, one more ask. Please, let me see your glorious presence, he said. See, he recognized the, he was already in the presence. He was already in the tent of meeting. He already had the pillar of cloud. He already had the, the, the Ten Commandments. Man, Moses knew the presence of God better than anybody. 
And yet, in the presence of God, Moses is asking a very big ask. No, show me your glorious presence. Show me all of your presence. Don't hide anything from me. That's probably the biggest ask in all of Scripture. And God says, all right, I can only meet you halfway, Moses. I love your big ask. He's like, but man, if I showed you all of my glory, you'd melt. And because I love you enough, I'm not going to do that to you. But what does he say in verse 19? The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will call out my name, the Lord Yahweh, to you. I will show kindness to anyone I choose, and I will show mercy to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, stand here on this rock beside me. I hope you're getting who that rock is. As my glorious presence passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will remove my hand and you will see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. God grants him this big ask. He says, all right, Moses, you asked for the biggest thing possible. I can't really give it to you because you have to wait till my son Jesus comes. The rock. And if anyone is in Christ, if anyone builds their life on the rock, oh, then they get to see my glory. So I will, Moses, I'll suspend time and I'll bring my son, the rock, and I'll bring him here onto this mountaintop, into this presence, and I'll hide you in the rock. I'll put you in the rock. And because you are in Christ, because you are in the rock, you can see my glory. I'm telling you, you and I, we have more access to the glory of God than Moses did. We're on the other side of the cross. He's telling us he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond even what Moses asked. Are you asking for his presence? What are you asking for? I get it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hill. He owns everything. And I feel like so many times I'm asking, I look at my life and I'm asking for these petty little things. And God is saying, Ryan, would you ask a bigger ask? You can bear so much more fruit if you began to ask for bigger things. A billion soul harvest, that's nothing if you just began to ask, if you began to spend time in my presence. Oh, I got time, I got to go quick. I'm going to skip some verses. In Exodus chapter 34, so just keep reading the same story, but I'm skipping to verse 8. So now this is God's presence shows up. Verse 8, Moses immediately fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, if it is true that I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, then please go with us. He's asking again. Yes, this is an unruly and stubborn people, but please pardon our iniquity and our sins. Accept us as your own special possessions. The Lord replied, all right, I hear your ask again, Moses. You keep asking for more, and I keep giving you more. This is the covenant I'm going to make with you. I will perform wonders that have never been done before, anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display through you. Can I tell you your homework? Verse 10. This is your ask. The Lord is telling Moses, this is what I'll give you. This is incredible. 
I will perform wonders that have never been done before. Do you know Jesus said the same thing to his disciples? He said to you and me, you will do greater things than I even did. Things that have never been done before. It says that people who touched the hem of Jesus' garment were healed. Then Paul, never been done before, sent handkerchiefs to different lands, and they got healed touching his handkerchief. Never been done before. Then Peter said, all right, I'm going to walk by people, and my shadow is going to heal them. Never been done before. I'm saying, where's the never been done before? Today, in your life, where there's no context for it. God is saying, you can ask for bigger things that are even revealed here in Scripture. I get it, they're connected. I'm not saying it's extra biblical. I'm saying, no, it's been never been done before. It's biblical right here in verse 10 and 11. God wants to do things in your life that have never been done before. But if you never ask for them, they're not going to happen. You want a little bit of fruit or you want to bear much fruit? It comes from his presence, fruit from his presence. Moses was presence oriented. He says, I'm not going anywhere unless your presence goes with me. And in his presence, he said, I want more of your presence. And in the, this presence oriented man, he began to ask big asks. And because of that, God began to do things that had never been done before. And because of that, God was actually glorified. God actually wants to do the exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. He wants to do those things. He's the God of miracles. He enjoys doing miracles. That's how he's glorified. He's glorified by miraculous power being on display for all to see. This verse 11 is huge. This verse 10, is it verse 10? Verse 10. Verse 10 is huge i got to wrap up the service. As the, the worship team comes up, I'm going to ask you, I don't know, maybe those activation questions. If you write down, right, maybe this week, ask yourself, what kind of fruit are you eating? Does your, does your diet need to change? What fruit are you eating? Adam and Eve, they ate the wrong fruit and there was devastating consequences. I'm telling you, there are things that are happening in our lives that are as a result of what we're eating. So number one, what are you eating? Number two, again, the K is very important. Get yourself a bigger ask. And number three, man, it's all connected to the presence. It's all connected to abounding, to abiding, right? Bearing much fruit. It's all in the presence. Is the awesome power of the Lord on display in your life? That's the fruit. The fruit isn't just good works, right? Good works that won't get you to heaven. What actually glorifies the Father in heaven is His awesome power on display in your life, which only comes from being connected to Him. Bearing that kind of fruit, the awesome power on display, being connected in his presence. So you just bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to close the service and Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I want to bear good fruit, God. That's my response to this message. I want to please you. I know I was created to glorify you. And God, this morning you're articulating the way I glorify you is by what I'm eating what I have an appetite for. So God, I'm asking, would you change my appetite? There's too much flesh where I keep going after things that don't matter. 
And I'm saying, I want to hunger and thirst for your righteousness. And it's only found one place. In your holy of holies. In your presence is that fullness that I'm longing for. The fullness of your fruit of the Spirit. Fullness of joy is found in your presence. God, forgive me for asking for selfish things. Sometimes I'm not asking for anything, and sometimes the only thing I'm asking for are things that don't even matter. So God, would you create in me, not just a desire to please you, create in me the right questions, the right asks, that I'd become like Moses, and I would ask big asks, and that God, because I have big asks, your power would be on display like never before in my life. That I would bear much fruit because I'm partnered with you. That at some point, I don't know where the vine and the branches are separating. When I look at a at a grapevine, sometimes I can't distinguish between where the, the vine and the branch end and begin. God, may that look like my life. Maybe it's so much of you, Jesus, that people see you in my life. It's actually you bearing the fruit. It's your fruit. It's not my fruit. So God, I thank you that you're such a good God that even in this moment, you're reproving, you're correcting me, but you're also putting courage inside of me. You're building me up. You're edifying me. You're propping me up to do greater things. You're a good, good father. And your word is so alive. May I live by every word that proceeds from your mouth, Jesus. In your mighty name. Amen.